Katie Ann and your host of the Full Confidence Head podcast where we go on a journey together tackling the fears of life from family relationships to finance from careers to community. Today we are tackling the topic of entrepreneurship. This is a big deal especially I feel like especially since the pandemic a lot of people have opened up to this idea that you can start your own business, but where to start is really intimidating sometimes. So we have an expert here today, Scott Evingston. I'm so excited. He's a husband, dad, entrepreneur based in Lehigh, Utah. He studied at BYU, Brigham Young University, and it wasn't has been involved in the early stages of technology startups as a founder, CEO, investor, advisor. He has been very successful and now is actually back at Brigham Young University coaching the entrepreneurs into how to start up their companies. He spends his free time when he's not working on his startups, (laughs) reading, skiing, cycling, and having adventures with family and friends. So we are so grateful that he is on today and he has so much to share with us about entrepreneurship, startups, and having motivation through it all. I'm so excited for this episode. Scott, thank you so much for taking some time out of your really busy schedule to be with us, to share some of your insights. We are excited to get to know you better, to hear what you have to say, but we have to know, what is your favorite type of cereal? So, okay, typically I'm kind of, this is probably a boring one, but normally cinnamon toast crunch, which is probably a common one. But the other day we were walking around. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We were walking around the grocery store and we saw one that was Dulce de Leche Cinnamon Toast Crunch and I snagged oh. it and that was actually pretty great too. So that's a top contender. I don't know whether it's okay. a long-term choice, but yeah. Is it like a different flavor? It's a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, tough okay. to describe. I'll have to send you a box. Yeah. I will be looking around now. I'm like, okay, the Dulce de Leche um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah. I had no idea they had different types of it. So that is so funny. We're so excited to have you on today. Can you just kind of, we want to get to know you a little bit, your background, and you're really in the business world, just doing incredible efforts. So start us off a little bit. What is your journey to get to where you are and what are you doing right now? Sure. So I I got my first real job, whatever that means. I guess everyone's got a different, you know, uh, idea of what that means. But I was in yeah. school at BYU and I got a job at a startup. It was a digital advertising business based in Provo. And um, at first I was, you know, taking notes in meetings and running errands for the executives of the company. I had a cousin and two or two that worked there who got me a job. Um, but I ended up learning a lot while I was there about digital advertising, you know, technology and lead generation and, um, you know, plenty of things not to do from, you know, these guys. So good and bad. Um <laughs> Uh, and then I started a business with, uh, my brother and my cousin and another good friend. Um, this was in about 2012, 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, ended up being kind of an HR software business that we, you know, sold to people who needed some, you know, automation in their recruiting processes. So, uh, we ran that until about 2018 and sold that to a strategic buyer in our industry. Um, and then I've worked for them for the last few years, but you know, it's funny you say, you know, you need some time out of my busy schedule because I've probably never been less busy than I am right now in the, as an adult. So yeah, I just finished up this, you know, commitment to the company who had acquired us and 
you know, my other commitments like in the community and with my church are, are, you know, less than they normally are. And so I've, uh, I have a few things I'm working on right now, another startup that I'm working on with uh, my brother and another partner. And, you know, I volunteer with the entrepreneurship students at BYU. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got to where I am. So now I, I work with startups as an investor and advisor and in a couple that I'm involved in, you know, operationally. So you say that's not busy and I'm hearing, I'm like, wait a minute, you're working on your own startup. You're <laughs> volunteering with it, entrepreneurship students. Like you're doing so much in your community. I'm like, that's still really really busy still yeah. like that's that's amazing this entrepreneurial journey that you had and the fact that you got acquired so early on and at a young age with your first business that that's just incredible so can you share us a little bit of insight what was that like building your first business and that inquiry and and what did that feel like yeah it was interesting so we I know a lot of people have kind of different paths to starting a business. Some people go raise kind of money from investors. We actually just funded the business ourselves. And so we had a little more flexibility on, you know, kind of the timeline for growing the business. And we just invested the, the profits that the business generated to grow it a little more organically. And this company that ended up acquiring us was a strategic partner who was taking basically our product and white labeling it and reselling it to their own customers. Mm -hmm. um, and we weren't really looking to be acquired at the time. We were growing pretty aggressively just, you know, on our own. Uh, but they, you know, made us an offer we couldn't say no to. Um, and they kind of, you know, they kind of presented it as, hey, we want you to join our team uh, they were owned by a large private equity fund. Okay. And so they said, hey, let's, you know, let us buy you out of most of the value of the business that you've built. And then let's roll some ownership into ownership in this larger company. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, stick around for a few years and help us grow this company until we sell it. And then you can have, you know, kind of another liquidation event. So we're kind of in the middle of that right now. Uh, we're there in the process of being sold again, but I'm no longer involved as of, uh, you know, like a month ago. So that's so yeah. impressive of how that turned over. Start us off with this idea of entrepreneurship. How did you get it? Is it just naturally in you? Did you have this idea for your first business? How did that start? You know, it's interesting. I, you often do hear these stories about, you know, young kids who just are always hustling, selling baseball cards and, right. uh, you know, or lemonade stand. And right. I probably I probably had some of that. You know, my brother and I, um, I feel like both of us, we were business partners in, in Smart Rhino. Uh, that was the name of our company. But, um, you know, I I was definitely scheming to make money when I was little. And mm -hmm. I think part of it is my parents never just gave us money like ever. And if yeah. I wanted to do things with my friends or go to the gas station to buy a candy bar, it was, you know, all right, go ahead, you know, earn your money and do what you want sort of thing. Right. So my parents would give us opportunities to work and pay us to do certain things. But, you know, um, my brother, I remember he was the mastermind behind this, but he would go to Costco and, you know, buy big boxes of candy bars and then mark them up substantially and sell them to his friends at school and oh no <laughs> yeah I, I remember right when a cd burner became you know it was a thing we got uh -huh. one and, and this was not legal 
uh, I did not realize that, but I remember I would burn CDs for my friends and charge them money for it. This is, you know, it dates and tells you how, how old I am because right now, you know, kids don't buy CDs or burn CDs at all anymore, I bet. But, um, yeah, I this used was back to. When... I remember I used to burn CDs. Okay. I did not sell them, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember I... not that time of my life. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then when I was in college, we started a number of different businesses, you know, just, uh, most of them made zero money and did not work out. A few of them did. Um, and you know, some of them were just, uh, working with other students to try, um, you know, generating leads for an insurance company. And that ended up working out going pretty well with a couple of friends of mine. Um, but none of them, you know, took off and did as well as smart Rhino. That was really where, you know, I kind of left what was at the time, my full-time job and jumped in and said, Hey, I'm going to do this and just be an entrepreneur. So yeah, it's interesting in your story. So it it wasn't necessarily nature, but necessity more of for you of, okay, I need to make money. And so let's figure this out. And then it, it sounds like it was more of a process rather like learning through a process of, okay, I started business after business until it worked. Is that kind of what I'm getting there? Yeah. And I will say one thing that changed this startup that I was working at grew had this meteoric rise and they they were growing really quickly. And I remember pulling reports for the executives that I did work for. And I remember looking at the revenue numbers that their business was doing day in, day out. And I remember one day they had a huge day where they did like $770,000 in revenue one day in a single day. And wow. and, it, and I think it was like a payday. And I remember looking at what my paycheck was and thinking like, man, I have got to be on the, you know, the higher end of the food chain here because I'm working a lot and these guys are the ones making all this money and I am not making that much money. And I remember feeling like, man, if I could come up with my own, you know, something I was in charge of, not only would I have flexibility to get to do a little more, you know, what I want, but, you know, I would be able to be compensated more like like they were so I think that was kind of inspiring too but totally that's so interesting that that was kind of your inspiration there so it is nerve-wracking at least for me to kind of just start your own thing to to jump into your own business how did you really get over those initial fears of especially the doubts of is this gonna work yeah that is really interesting and there are different like ways of thinking about this too I think some people think, hey, just leap of faith. You've got to, you know, burn the ships and just try it out, you know, and and if it works, great. If not, you crash and burn, but you learn something. And that was not really my experience. I'm probably less of a risk taker than that. Um, I think some people, if you can start a business as kind of a side hustle or a, you know, a side project while you still have like a full-time job where you're generating income, and if you can keep your financial commitments low enough, I think, you know, it doesn't have to be so, you know, leap of faith uh, sort of thing. So my experience was I had a full-time job and we started our last business and I waited until, you know, I was making more money from my side job than my day job to mm-hmm. do that full-time. And although it was a little less certain and, there, you know, it was still risky it was different because I, I, I was switching from, you know, taking two incomes to just jumping into one of them. Right. But I'd, you know, also my wife and I had saved a lot of money and we had tried to set ourselves up where we didn't have a lot of financial commitments and we'd, we'd saved a lot of money that was liquid. So 
in the case that there were, you know, changes in our business or, you know, unforeseen issues, we would have enough money to be able to do the things we needed and not, you know, not be homeless necessarily. Right. So I know that's hard for a lot of people to do, though. I feel like in general, we just uh, increase our expenses, you know, as our income goes up, we just, you know, oh, I can do more things and you do more things and just kind of constantly increase that. But if you can fight it, I feel like you can set yourself up to be more effective as an entrepreneur. But I just want to pause and give a moment to our sponsors. Now, you guys, <laughs> I'm afraid of three things, and that's snakes, haunted houses, and going over my budget. And Utah Money Mons has helped me calm my fear of going over my budget through their free webinars and downloadable materials. Last December, they actually had a webinar for panic procrastinators, and it helped me stay in the budget and keep calm while I was getting all the gifts that I needed during the holiday season. They actually helped 86% of their followers create a financial goal. So head on over to utahmoneymoms.com or utahmoneymoms on Instagram to get your free financial confidence boost. That's so interesting because I don't think I've ever heard that concept necessarily tied to entrepreneurship. I, I've been taught that. I, I love to learn about personal finance and we always talk about saving for a rainy day, having your emergency fund, but I never consider that a key aspect and a success factor towards entrepreneurship because really entrepreneurship is taking risks. And it's interesting to hear what you said about having kind of it as a side hustle until it's a little bit more certain, which makes complete sense because to me I've always thought about entrepreneurship is this big risk taking and you have to be a risk taker you're you're doing numbers you're you're working with data and you're also taking a risk on a new idea and yet the way that your model of entrepreneurship that you just kind of taught us there kind of gives us this safety net and that makes it less scary for me so you're like okay well we can kind of try it out test the waters but we have this backup if it goes south. Um, and I am a full believer in a rainy day fund in your savings, whether it's for yourself or your business, you just never know. I think the pandemic yeah. taught us, you just never know what will happen. So that's so interesting to me that that's, um, that's was a key factor. I wouldn't have tied that to entrepreneurship um, at all. Yeah. Um, so when you go in, yeah, please. Well, no, it's interesting. I think, and I think some people, it's maybe even a little easier. Like if you are married and let's say your spouse makes enough money to cover your bills, then, you know, maybe you can jump yeah. in head first and like, Hey, I'm going to do this and our, you know, we'll be good still, you know, or maybe you have saved enough money. And I've had friends who went and right out of college, went to work in something where they made lots of money and saved most of it. And you know, wanted to jump into a startup, but you had a few years of cash in the bank already, and then it might make sense to just jump in and live off of your savings. One thing, though, it all comes down to what your financial commitments are, too, though. I, I listened right. to a pitch a couple of years ago from some entrepreneurs that were raising money to fund their business, and they were raising over a million dollars for their business that was still really early stage. And one of the other investors that was there asked them like, hey, well, how do you plan to spend the money? And these two business partners admitted that right out the gates, they were going to start taking a salary. Mm -hmm. And the investor said, well, how much are you going to take? And they said, oh, we'll each pay ourselves about $150,000 a year. And I remember thinking like doing the math, I'm like, that's a huge chunk. That's a third of the money you're raising right here is just going to pay you two. And, you know, I, I asked them, I was like, hey, that's a pretty big salary for entry, you know, like an early stage technology business that's not generating revenue yet. Like, is there, you know, is that 
do you have wiggle room there? And they just looked at me like I was an idiot and said, well, we will definitely need that much just to get by. Like we're not going to be living high on the hog. And I remember thinking, that's a lot of money just to, you know, scrape by sort of thing. Maybe my experience was not typical, but you know, we definitely were living on the cheap back when, you know, we need, we needed to do that. So I think part of it is the mindset of, you know, kind of minimalist. If you want to have the flexibility that comes with entrepreneurship, being able to deny some of the lifestyle creep that comes up when you generate more and more income. That's actually a really beautiful shift of mindset because I think sometimes, a lot of times we jump to the entrepreneurship thinking, hey, I can make money, right? We have this idea of like, I can do better. Um, But to get to that point, you're going to have to start in this minimalist stage. You're going to have to start really managing your money and, and saving and spending wisely to the point, um, kind of the idea of save now to be rich later. You can't just start off on this high. That's really interesting. What other questions do you normally ask new entrepreneurs when they come into you or they're pitching to you? You know, one thing that's interesting when someone wants to get into entrepreneurship, um, sometimes, uh, it can be kind of like someone who has a hammer looking for a nail. Mm-hmm. where they're looking for an idea or any old idea mm-hmm. and they just, Oh, I want to start a business. I'm just looking for an idea. And I feel like sometimes the best businesses come about a little more organically than that, where you're working in an industry or in a business or with a type of customer and you spot some pain that they have. And you, you know, in this industry that you are in every day and experiencing spot an opportunity to solve someone's pain you know, in a way that they will pay you for. So, you know, sometimes, uh, I don't know, I would just recommend to entrepreneurs, like if you have an industry that you'd like to work in as an entrepreneur, you know, finding a job or any job or just learning the most that you possibly can about that industry, you know, getting to know that potential customer that you think you'd like to, you know, uh, start a business and sell something to uh, can help rather than having, you know, ideas just come up kind of, um, yeah, inorganically. And I don't know if you ever watched like Shark Tank or one of those businesses, but. So cool. Okay. It's really cool. It's super interesting. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. it's awesome. But it, you'll notice most of the very best businesses that come up on Shark Tank or, you know, any other, you know, business yeah. investor show like that. Most often it's somebody who's a long time you know, veteran in an industry who knows it front to back that just spots an opportunity. Mm. And, you know, it's one of the things that I think is hard for people who are young, you know, students to jump in and be entrepreneurs is if you haven't had, you know, experience in an industry, sometimes it's tough to spot those opportunities. But I wouldn't have ever thought about that either, because I kind of think of our entrepreneurship program, you can get your degree in entrepreneurship, you know, you kind of go and then you start your own business. But I, as you're talking, I'm realizing you're right. We probably have, we have so many businesses in the world. There's just, I, I don't even, I don't even know if there's a number, but it has to be with a lot of zeros on the end. That's all I can say. Like there, there's a lot of businesses in the world. And so setting yourself apart is probably really challenging. But one thing that sets you apart is quality. And are you fulfilling a need? And I think that really comes through that experience. That's, that's a really interesting comment because I think I've always had this idea of entrepreneurship of ideas and business rather than really fulfilling a need, but also that's, 
that's a quality company is when you're seeing a lack and then you're filling that hole. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard though. I get it. And then, and I think some of the most successful student entrepreneurs who maybe are younger and don't, don't have that experience. I always encourage them to find mentors or advisors who maybe have that experience, even if you don't yet, you know, if you can partner mm. up and ask somebody to be an advisor to your business, who's a, you know, let's say you have some insurance business you'd like to generate. If you go find a 20 or 30 year insurance veteran and you, you know, approach her and say, Hey, you've been working in this industry forever. Uh, I'm starting this insurance startup. Would you be willing to, you know, give me a couple hours a month to help me shape the strategy? And, you know, I can't, get all the information out of your brain necessarily, but, uh, you know, be on my team. And it's crazy how valuable some of those relationships can be and help people sidestep hurdles that they wouldn't necessarily have seen. Um, but yeah, those are really important connections to make early on, I think, as an entrepreneur. That's a really interesting comment, especially because I think kind of the trends of the world, and this is, I don't want to generalize because this is not everyone, but I, I see this trend of kind of the new generation uh, just kind of being like, we've got it. We're doing it on our own. Like we can do it. It's almost the idea of the Renaissance back when that happened, taking the classical idea of it saying, this is great. But we're going to do it better. But that idea just shifted saying, no, I'm going to seek out people who have experience. I have a good idea, but let me be mentored through this. So how do you even approach somewhere? How do you find a mentor? How do you establish that relationship? How do you get that going? You know, it's interesting. Um, I feel like I, I maybe have learned this through the opposite of the ideal scenario because I don't think I ever mm -hmm. had an individual like a really great mentor. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's why I love volunteering, you know, with the student entrepreneurs because now that I've probably learned more by trial and error, you know, finding someone who has an early stage startup in a category that I've had experience in you know, I love doing that and just, just spending time with them or grabbing lunch with them and chatting about their ideas. So uh, to answer your question, if I'm the entrepreneur and I'm trying to find someone who's like my ideal mentor, you know, I feel like just reaching out and offering to take somebody to lunch or, you know, uh, even just reaching out on LinkedIn and saying, hey, can I have a few minutes of your time? I really, this is what I'm doing and I'm looking for, uh, you know, someone with experience to help guide my strategy a little bit, and I'll, I'll keep it brief. I, I feel like it's in our human nature, it strokes our ego a little bit when someone, you know, tells you like, hey, you're the wizard, and I need your expertise. I think, you know, we're like, hey, I'm pretty great. Of course, I'll do that. You know, people are more inclined to help out, even if, you know, I would say entrepreneurs sometimes maybe with me are disappointed when I, I don't have anything that insightful. But point being, I think just if you can, you know, work up the courage to ask, you'd be surprised how many people are willing to give you a few minutes of their time. I love that. I just like working up that courage. And I've always learned this in my life, but the worst thing they could say is no. So you might as well try right? because if you don't ask, then the automatic answer is no, but maybe it might be yes. So I, I really like that idea of just, just going out and asking do you see yourself giving the same piece of advice over and over to these young entrepreneurs? Is there one trend of, of advice that you keep giving? I would say I probably do sound like a broken record because there are <laughs> things that I feel like I always tell, like every yeah. student team that I work with. One of them is like mm -hmm. just keeping your financial commitments low because okay. I think, I think a lot of people they're in their undergrad mm -hmm. or even 
graduate degree and they look at the things that other people have and you think, mm-hmm. oh, well, like my, you know, my buddy just bought this house and he's got a big old house or he drives a nice car or they're taking all these fancy vacations. And, you know, we can, even if the phase we're at in our lives or, or our income or our other, you know, financial uh, commitments are such that it doesn't make sense to do that. I think we can feel pressure from other people to just have the things that people around us or even our parents have. I know yeah. there are people who think, oh, well, my parents have this super nice house and they drive a new car every few years. So like, I should do that too. Even if, you know, you might not be in a spot where that makes any sense. If if we can, you know, kind of be deliberate about avoiding the, um, you know, leveling up our expenses all the time, it is crazy what you can do if, you know, you're able to keep that in check. Most people can't, you know, most people it's like, you get bored of the car that you bought two years ago and pretty soon, like it's all you can think about until you go buy a new one. Uh, or, you know, maybe it's not cars. Maybe it's like sick of my house and, uh, you know, everyone's buying new houses. I need a bigger house. And then that's just consumes you until you, you know, do it, whether or not it's a good financial decision. I think it's helping, especially younger, uh, younger people to be deliberate about that and to try to, um, kind of slow down your, or delay gratification like that pays out huge dividends if you can really nail it yeah that's a really I, I love that you use the word delayed gratification because that is something I think that we're all kind of struggling with 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 the way our world is with social media with with google if we want information we just get it if you want something you go to amazon you get it you know we just get things so readily and easily that I think the one thing I've, I've seen consistently in people's lives that has helped with that delayed gratification is gratitude is, you know, like really just appreciating, like, you know, I have a car, so thank you for this car. And, and it helps sustain that over time. So when you can make that financial commitment to get a new car, you can at least be grateful because you know what, we, we are so blessed in so many ways the fact that where we're living and our conditions, and and now I'm not saying that as general because I do understand that there are underserved populations here that don't have what we do. So recognize maybe what we do have and that can help uh, with with that instant gratification. I just want to ask for a few minutes because I know you had a Instagram on barbecue that you also sold. Like this is one of your business things. So can you tell the podcast listeners kind of about this, this, Instagram this barbecue is so funny I cannot <laughs> believe that that like went off I know I, I uh, it's awesome <laughs> it is interesting yeah so I I love to barbecue it's just like a you know a hobby yeah. um and I I started like taking pictures of the things I was cooking and putting them uh-huh. up on an Instagram account and uh-huh. you know I, I feel like through work I'd started to learn a little about um about how you can build up a following on social media and the way that the algorithms work and the types of content that are engaging and the, you know, anyway, there's like kind of a whole playbook on how you do that. But, um, I started to see like quite a few people like following my, my Instagram page. Uh, and it's actually, it's hard cause you do kind of get sucked up into it too, where you're like, Oh man, how many likes did I get on that? And yeah, you know, totally. You get kind of into it, Um, and it started to grow. I think I got to the point, I'm trying to remember, I think I had about 25,000 followers on it. And you were Uh, just posting barbecue things at that point, right? Yeah, literally just like (laughs) meat 
meat that I was grilling and I would share other videos that like other yeah. people had made, uh, you know, to my audience kind of reposting, but you know, you know, it's interesting. I, um, maybe this is kind of a, a tangent, but I, I stopped posting on there because I realized that it was starting to turn into a job a little bit. Like it kind of yeah, started to take some totally. of the fun out of it. Yeah. <laughs> like totally. rather, rather than like, you know, I'm going to cook something, you know, and my kids uh -huh. and I will cook something and have friends over to eat. It got where it was like, you know, companies started sending me things and being like, Hey, I want you to use this seasoning or this, you know, I, you know, oh paying me to post about their products. And I was yeah. like, this is not that fun anymore. It's, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I kind of stopped doing it, but, um, yeah, I, I have done a few different uh, Instagram accounts and a couple of them, you know, someone had come in and said, hey, I want to buy this from you. One of them was like a uh, like a side-by-side, -side, you know, ATV yeah. page. And this guy ran a big e-commerce store and he said, hey, I, I would rather than trying to build this following myself, I'll just pay you for your account. I was like, all right, so I sold it. <laughs> That's yeah, so it's interesting. Awesome. You're like, well, there you go. I like how you mentioned too, but you have to be careful with social media. It is a tool but it can also turn on you and be a weapon. It, you really have to be careful in that self-monitoring of of setting your parameters. Okay, like this is how I'm going to use it. And I think establishing those rules earlier on yep. when you start it with yourself saying like, for example, I have a timer on my social media so that I'm, I'm on, I'm off. You know, because I, I find myself, otherwise you're on with a purpose and then an hour later you're like, why was I here? You know, <laughs> it's just, it's so yeah. crazy. So I've got my little timer and I always try to get on, like I'm on with a purpose. And that's so interesting too, that it kind of went from passion to work. You're like, wait a minute, kind it of. switched. Um, and, and just a fun idea. I just, I, I think it's so cool that you're like, I did a barbecue Instagram. Like that's so, that's it is so fun. fun. Yeah. I, I did like it. And I could see a scenario where I have some other, you know, whether it's a, uh, work project or, yeah. you know, have some other account I start and, and I did enjoy it, but that thing in particular, um, I still like to cook. I just don't like to take pictures of it and do, a, do the whole song and dance, but yeah, it's yeah. interesting. So interesting. As we're wrapping up our conversation, I want to just ask you the question that we always ask our podcast interviewees here. And I'm really curious about your answer will be, but what is one piece of advice that you would have given yourself to boost your confidence when you were younger? That's such a good question. I've thought about that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I was a late bloomer and I was not like necessarily popular or, you know, any of the things when you're a teenager that you think make you, make you cool or yeah. help make you feel confident. Yeah. Um, but uh, if I could go back and, you know, kind of jump in before I started to think about those things, I would probably make sure that I knew two things. One, that I was as smart and as capable and as talented of, uh, as, you know, any of the people that I was feeling jealous of or I felt like were ahead of me. Um, and just most of those people maybe had figured out some things that I hadn't yet, but, you know, they also had things they were struggling with. And you you kind of see this arc as you finish high school and you finish college and you watch how people's lives play out and the choices they make, you realize like even people that in previous phases of your life, maybe you felt jealous of or something like they are still figuring out a lot of things too. Yeah. And you know, the second thing there is that feeling confident is it's like a, a skill that you can develop. It's not like you have it or you don't. It's, yeah. it's a choice you make. And, and you know, it's like, Oh, I want to bench press more. 
like, oh, okay, well, you got to start bench pressing. And, you know, there are a lot of things that I think you can do to help yourself feel confident. Some of it is, you know, who you surround yourself with. And some of it is, you know, the literature that you read or the, how you spend your free time, the music you listen to, you know, I, I've, I've kind of figured out things that help me when I'm feeling, uh, you know, doubtful or in a funk, but, you know, I think everyone has, or, or can come up with their kind of toolkit to help them feel confident. So. I like that you said that confidence is a skill. I, I'm thinking of it as a muscle and I think you're totally right. I, I've started to discover that now. Um, I, I, I love that you said that. So we are so grateful that you are on. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I think a lot of times the feeling of fear comes from a lack of control in our lives. And our sponsor, PowerPay, is offering a money master course that's normally $40 for free to all Full Confidence Ahead podcast listeners so you can take control of your finances this year. The course is video-based and gives you real-life money smarts. So to claim your course, go to extensioncourses.usu.edu slash Pal, which is K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N-P-O-W-E-L-L, and it'll automatically add the money master course to your cart and you just click check out and you'll get it for free. You can also access your course by going to extensioncourses.usu.edu and finding the money master course under the finance category, then using the code KATIEANN, K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N, with no spaces, to claim your $40 discount and free course at checkout. So let's master our money together. Thanks for listening in on the Full Confidence Ahead podcast. Weekly on Tuesdays, we'll continue our journey of confidence together through new interviews and insights. Make sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on the latest conversations and confidence boosts. And by the way, you got this because you deserve to live life full confidence ahead. See you next week.